in connection with our text, which is Psalm 127. It speaks of building houses and building a, a family. We'll read from 1 Kings chapter 6, where Solomon builds the temple. <clears throat> so 1 Kings chapter 6. There we read, In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. The house that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. The vestibule in the front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits long, equal to the width of the house, and ten cubits deep in front of the house. And he made for the house windows with recessed frames. He also built a structure against the wall of the house, running around the walls of the house, both the nave and the inner sanctuary. And he made side chambers all around. The lowest story was five cubits broad, the middle one was six cubits broad, and the third was seven cubits broad. For around the outside of the house, he made offsets on the wall in order that the supporting beams should not be inserted into the walls of the house. When the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. The entrance for the lowest story was on the south side of the house. And one went up by stairs to the middle story, and from the middle story to the third. So he built the house and finished it, and he made the ceiling of the house of beams and planks of cedar. He built the structure against the whole house, five cubits high, and it was joined to the house with timbers of cedar. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, concerning this house that you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar. From the floor of the house to the walls of the ceiling, he covered them on the inside with wood, and he covered the floor of the house with boards of cypress. He built 20 cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls, and he built this within as an inner sanctuary, as the most holy place. The house, that is, the nave in front of the inner sanctuary, was 40 cubits long. The cedar within the house was carved in the form of gourds and open flowers. All was cedar, no stone was seen. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house to set there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. And he overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid an altar of cedar. And Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold. And he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. And he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. 
Also, the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary he overlaid with gold. In the inner sanctuary he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. Five cubits was the length of one wing of the cherub, and five cubits of the length of the other wing of the cherub. It was ten cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. The other cherub also measured ten cubits. Both cherubim had the same measure and the same form. The height of one cherub was ten cubits, and so was that of the other cherub. He put the cherubim in the innermost part of the house, and the wings of the cherubim were spread out so that a wing of one touched the one wall, and a wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. Their other wings touched each other in the middle of the house, and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Oh, I guess we'll go now to the sermon text, which is Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is titled, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a story that Ozymandias, a, a pharaoh of Egypt, had a statue, statue built of himself at the entrance of the city that he had also built in order to mark his reign as king of Egypt. And at the base of this statue, he had an, an, an inscription placed, and it said, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Now, as the story goes, by the time that, he, that this statue was uncovered by archaeologists, the head had broken off, and the only thing were, that were remaining there was the inscription and stubby two legs. And everything around the statue, including the city, was covered in sand. And this story is often used to teach people not to be overcome by pride in their work. Because you don't know what will happen to what you build once you're gone. No kingdom will last forever. No king can rule forever. And yet there's another lesson in this story, a deeper lesson and a more important one. The real lesson is that we must build in faith that we must seek the blessing of God, the true and eternal King of kings, and that it's only when he builds that those buildings will last. He's the one who gives purpose and, and meaning to all of our work. 
And this psalm, Psalm 127, it taught the Israelites and it teaches us as well to seek the Lord's blessing in every aspect of life. It taught each individual to rely on on the Lord as they went about their daily work. It taught them that only with the Lord's blessing and under his providential care would they be protected, would they have food to eat and produce offspring. And apart from this care of the Lord, all that they would do, all their work would be in vain. It would be worthless and and passing away. Solomon speaks not only of a house as a physical building, but also as a household. And that comes up elsewhere in Scripture too, where we read of things like the house of David. And so the psalm gave instruction to the local household and the broader community as well. The whole covenant community of God was to recognize that children were given to that covenant community as part of God's blessing and and faithfulness to the covenant that he had made. And so in short, this psalm, it taught Israel and it teaches us as well to look outward and upward, to look to God who is the one who is truly building It teaches us that we can put in as much effort as we want, but without the Lord's will and without his blessing, that work that we do is in vain. It's the Lord who determines whether what we build will ultimately last. And so this afternoon, we'll see that apart from the Lord's blessing, our labor is in vain, and we'll see this both in our work and in our family life. Now, Solomon is the author of this psalm. He was inspired by the Spirit to write this psalm, and he was a man who also knew just how dependent human beings are upon the Lord's blessing and care as they go about their work. Solomon was known as a builder. We read of that also in 1 Kings chapter 6. And elsewhere in the book of Kings, in 1 Kings chapter 9, it also mentions that he constructed many palaces and grain houses and storehouses. We're told there that he built walled cities and and fortresses, and he constructed at least two fleets of ships that would bring treasures and tribute from around the world back to Jerusalem. Yet these were just side projects. The real building project that Solomon embarked on was to build the temple, to build the house of the Lord. And that takes place in 1 Kings from chapter 6 to chapter 8. And we're told that it took seven years for the temple to be built. And in the end of seven years, it was a truly glorious building. The temple was three stories tall. It was built from stone lined with cedar and covered with gold on the inside. And there were pieces of art all over the walls and even the floor. There were angels and palm trees covered in gold. There were golden altars. There were bronze altars. And so the temple was certainly a a beautiful building. It would have been amazing to see. And as Solomon was the builder of the temple and also the author of the psalm, 
There's a rather unique connection here. Because this is also called a psalm of ascent. It's a psalm that the Israelite and Jewish pilgrims would have sang as they journeyed to the temple, as they journeyed to worship the Lord. And it, we can imagine that those pilgrims, perhaps they would have sung this song as they stood within the temple gates, as they stood within the courtyard around the temple. And as they looked at the walls and all the gold and all the artwork, they surely would have marveled that, yes, indeed, without the Lord's blessing, this construction project would have been in vain. Because it's the Lord himself who builds the house and who built that house by using human means. And so here in the psalm, we're told that all human effort is vanity apart from the Lord's will and blessing. Building a house, guarding a city, your daily work, it's all meaningless if the Lord does not bless your efforts. And what does anyone gain in their labors apart from the Lord? And that is a question which Solomon provides the answer to. In, in the end, the one who labors without God's blessing is no better off than an animal which dies and is forgotten. It's no, you're no better off than Ozymandias who built a great kingdom only for it to lie in ruins. Now, of course, Solomon isn't ignoring the fact that we have bills to pay, we have mortgages, or that, or he's not saying that we don't have to work in order to put food on the table, but he's focusing our attention on God and on his blessing in our daily work. Because without his blessing, all of our labor becomes toil and fruitless. And so he says it's in vain that you rise early and go late to rest. He says that it's in vain that you eat the bread of anxious toil, literally the bread of your pain. And I suspect that most or many of us have had to eat such bread at one point. Perhaps you had elaborate plans for your life, for your family, for your, your business, only for them to come crashing down or not come together quite as you wished. Perhaps even in the last year or so, you had travel plans or, or wedding plans that were upturned because of restrictions. And the resulting frustration and, and anxiety is that bread of anxious toil. At times in our lives, we've been taught and retaught the lesson that you can try as hard as you can you can work with all your energy, you can plan for every detail, but it is only when we are working with and in the Lord and under his gracious blessing that there will be any results. And so this is important for us to keep in mind in our day-to-day -day life as well. And some helpful advice from, from one author in this regard is, to recognize that the work you do, the role that you have in life, whether it's as a student or a business owner or an employee or a volunteer, that role that you've been given is the will of God for you at this time and place. And it's the means by, by which he works in our lives and in the lives of others. And so this author, he suggested 
that when you go to work on, on Monday or you go to school, to take a sticky note or, or some piece of paper and write, God has put me here to serve him today. And then he suggests placing that note on your locker or on your desk. And when you see it in the morning or when you see it as you prepare for your lunch, uh, you can offer up a brief prayer. Lord, I'm doing this work for you. Work through me so that I might also please you. Now, living life with the attitude that success is dependent on our own effort, it can easily lead us to worry and anxiety. And the psalmist, he recognizes this and he encourages the godly to acknowledge the Lord and to seek his blessing in all matters of life. From building a house to guarding a city to our daily chores, it's the Lord who is in control. And Solomon, he speaks so strongly regarding the vanity of working apart from the Lord in order to oppress upon God's people the importance of realizing how crucial God's blessing truly is. He's realizing the truth of the proverb that says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines the steps. And this truth isn't meant to produce a sort of fatalistic worldview. It doesn't mean that nothing you do matters or, or makes a difference, but there's a beautiful comfort in this psalm. Because our Lord is sovereign, and he's sovereign over our entire existence. And he's our father, and we are his children. And so his, his blessing isn't something that we have to strive for and work for and, and somehow earn from him but it's a gift of his grace and love. He allows us to rest and be at peace under his care. And it's when you seek his blessing on your labor and trust in his providential plan and his grace that we can truly be at peace, that we truly don't have to obsess over getting the next promotion or ensuring that our business is running perfectly. Because all the questions that we may have, we can rest in the confidence that the Lord is in control of the outcome. And so we can hand over our bread of anxious toil to the Lord. We can call upon Him to, to care for us in the midst of those doubts and those questions that we may have. And so we can, we can seek God's blessing and rest in the comfort that our Father is in control and He will provide for all of His beloved children with what they need in their day-to-day -day life. Now when we consider how this psalm shows and teaches us our dependence on the Lord and how it teaches us to seek His blessing we can rightly see that this psalm is spoken of as a wisdom poem, as a wisdom psalm. And Solomon, he was truly blessed by God. It was under the reign of Solomon that the kingdom of Israel experienced its golden age. 
This is the time when the surrounding nations paid tribute to Israel. This is the time when Israel had peace treaties with the most powerful empires of the day, when the economy flourished and Israel prospered. And yet, like much of Solomon's wisdom, the lessons of this psalm were mostly lost on him. Towards the end of his reign, he turned away from the Lord, and he led the entire nation astray. Solomon, the son of David, who had the promise of the messianic king of of Jesus Christ to come from his household, he neglected the Lord. And his building, both of temples and palaces, and his dynastic endeavors, they proved to be reckless. He worked without consulting the Lord and the Lord's law. And so as a result, his kingdom, it eventually became a ruin. It became a ruin like that of Ozymandias, and his marriages with foreign wives led the people of Israel astray, as he devoted more and more time to building temples to these gods, and he forsook the God of his fathers. And so, as John Piper put it, the message of this psalm was lost on him. The message of one life to live which will quickly pass, only what is built for the Lord will last. Solomon, he became an unfaithful ruler and builder. He began to work for himself and for his own glory rather than God's. And ultimately, then as a king, he was a failure. Even the temple that he built, that glorious building, it ended up being destroyed. And so the author of this psalm, he stands as a warning to us. He stands as a warning to keep the Lord at the center of our lives. And yet where the house of Solomon, the son of David, failed, the house of Jesus, the son of David, succeeded. Because Jesus Christ is building a house that will last through all eternity. And his work, it began already back in, back in Eden, back in Genesis 3, where he promised to crush the head of the serpent. And then throughout his life on earth, he continually sought the blessing of his Father, and he continually sought to carry out his will. And Christ's work, it culminated on the cross where he redeemed for himself a, a people chosen to everlasting life by his own blood. And this work that Christ is doing, this building project of Jesus Christ, it's a building project that won't degrade over time. It won't be swallowed up by sand because he's building his church on the firm and solid rock. So brothers and sisters, what Christ has done It gives us the privilege of going about our own work with joy and confidence. And it allows us to rest in the knowledge that he has secured the blessing of God upon our own work. His work means that we do not have to work in vain. So as you go about your daily work this week, keep in mind Christ's work. Commit all your labors to him and seek his blessing. Work for his glory. And rest in the knowledge that he does indeed give his beloved sleep. Our Father has promised to bless 
those who are his children, to bless them and to use their work to bring glory to his name. And we are citizens of Christ's eternal kingdom. We're members of his household. And he will bless the work of all those who call upon his name. Now the reality that we are members of Christ's household, it also has an impact on our own earthly households. Uh, That brings us to the second point in which we'll see the need for the Lord's blessing in our family life. Now, the earthly family, it has been created or instituted by God. And God created the first human family when he created a wife for Adam. And several times in Genesis, we read that the Lord blessed all of humanity and commanded them to fill the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God chose one family in particular, and he blessed them too. He made a covenant with Abraham, and he told Abraham that it was through him that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And in the second half of this psalm, Solomon addresses, sorry, it was through Abraham and his descendants that the Messiah would come. It was through this family in particular. And that's the meaning that, of house that Solomon addresses in the second half of this psalm. He addresses house as in a family unit. And he zeroes in on that covenant that God had made with Abraham and with his family and with his house. And Solomon, in his own family life, he, he had witnessed the importance of the Lord's blessing. He knew the struggles that could occur within a family. He knew that there is no such thing as a perfect home. Solomon would have known of how David's sin with Uriah and Bathsheba turned his family into a sort of dysfunctional mess. When he knew that his own brother had rebelled against his father and taken his wives and concubines, and then how another brother had risen up while David lay dying and tried to take the crown away from Solomon. And so Solomon would have at least at one point known that it was only because of the Lord's blessing and faithfulness that David's house did not die out, and that Solomon was the one who was sitting on the throne and not some other brother. Solomon knew that the Lord had determined to build David's house through him, and he was the son whom the Messiah would eventually come from. And a similar blessing of of promise was given to every family in Israel. And Solomon, he points this out in our psalm in verse 3, where the ESV translates the word behold. Now that basically just means look, listen, pay attention. That's what Solomon means. He wants to get the Israelites and, and us to pay attention to what he's saying. He wants them to recognize that their covenant with the Lord, that their covenant God is the one who not only blesses 
the physical house, but he also blesses the family household. He's the one who gives children to the Israelites. And when the Israelites considered God's covenant promises, then their children would not be viewed as a burden to them, but as a blessing, as an inheritance or a a reward, a reward given to them by the Lord. And so children in Israel, they were received as, as a joy, as a sign of God's blessing. And these children are called arrows in our text. And that's because having multiple children and especially multiple sons meant that they would have a secure place in the village or the city. You're not going to worry about someone stealing your cattle if you have seven burly teenage sons who can take them on. And so the one with with multiple children, he would have people who are able to come to his defense if he faced a time of trouble, and especially in times of legal trouble. When our psalm speaks of being in the gate, of speaking with his enemies in the gate, that's a, that's a legal term. That's basically the courtroom of the city. And so when you have multiple children, you rest secure in that, in that area as well. Their enemies would be hesitant to bring a false charge against them, knowing that they had sons who could come to their aid. But more importantly than being able to take on legal challenges, the children were how God was building up the entire nation of Israel. The nation or the house, we could say, that would one day produce the great Messiah. And it's because of this great Messiah that the house of God was not put to shame, but blessed. When Christ arose from the grave in glory, he ascended into heaven and there he continues his building work. He continues to pour forth his blessing on the church today and on believers today. And he sought the blessing of God. He labored on to the joy that was set before him. And so, though he suffered shame for a little while, he now has a great, a great legacy. He has an entire community of brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters of one another and brothers and sisters of him. And so this has huge implications for house building today as well. Our Lord, he taught us that we should build our house upon the rock, that our foundation in our daily life and in our life as a household, as families, is to be grounded in the gospel. It's to be grounded in the gospel that he taught. It's the grounded in the gospel that God's people are commanded to pass on to the next generation of children, of children, physical children, but of new believers as well. And so as we go about our daily life, we're constantly seeking, constantly calling for our Father's blessing. And we're to recognize that we can't build faithful families without the Lord's blessing. And so prayer and depending upon the Lord are are crucial for the Christian life. It's through prayer that we cry out to God for his blessing. 
And this responsibility of raising up a household, of raising up children and new believers to walk in the fear of the Lord and in a loving relationship with our God is not a task reserved just for parents. It's a task for everyone because we're all part of the same family. We're all part of God's family. We all have union with Christ and we all have union with one another. And so we can carry out the the calling that the household of God receives to mentor the next generation. As parents, we can do that, and that's, of course, where the greatest responsibility lies, but there's other ways that we can carry out this task and calling as well. We can be involved in things like teen club or stepping stones. We can host young people's Bible studies. We can mentor new believers. Or we can support the work of mission being done in places like South Africa, Brazil, Mexico, Indonesia, and wherever the gospel is being proclaimed. We can offer our support for this work, and that support is not strictly limited to financial donations. Above all else, it involves praying that God would bless the work that's being done, that he would bless the the means that he himself has chosen and called to build up his church and to preserve her from evil. And so, brothers and sisters, as you go about your week, recall the need for the Lord's blessing and, and seek that blessing Whether you are at work or home or on vacation, it's only with the Lord's blessing that what we do is not in vain. And if God has blessed you with children, then recall that they are His children first of all, and that He has given them to you so that you might teach them His ways. Beloved, remember that we are all members of that blessed household with a shared calling of laboring for his kingdom and for his house. And in this way, we we don't have to be anxious, we don't have to be anxiously toiling for our daily bread or slave away in an effort to earn God's blessing, but we can rest in the comforting promise that he is our loving and heavenly father, that he will indeed bless the work that he has given us to carry out. In this world, it's seen countless empires and and family dynasties rise up and and fall down. And even the greatest rulers and kingdoms that they forge, they're impermanent. Their legacies fade and they drift into oblivion. They're no longer remembered. But Christ's kingdom and the work that he is doing here on earth, here also in Abbotsford, That is work that will last forever. And we have the great blessing of being called, of being included in that work. And we know that he does not labor in vain. Amen.